Section number two of Harper's Young People, Volume One, Issue thirty, May twenty fifth, eighteen eighty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ken Tober. Harper's Young People, Volume One, Issue thirty, May twenty fifth, eighteen eighty. Begun in number 19 of Harper's Young People, March 9th, Across the Ocean, or A Boy's First Voyage, a true story, by J.O. Davidson, Chapter 12, The Heathen Chinese at Home. The first sight of China, that region of marvel and mystery where everything seems exactly opposite to what one sees at home and the fashions of 3,000 years ago are supreme as ever, is a great event in anyone's life. So thought Frank Austin, who was on the watch for the Chinese coast long before it came into sight, although the run from Singapore was an unusually quick one, for the Arizona exerted all her speed to get in for cargo before a rival steamer, which had kept close to her all the way, coming so near at times that the respective officers could exchange a little good-humored chaff through their speaking trumpets. But our hero got a glimpse of the Celestials sooner than he expected. For the last two or three days of the voyage, the sea was literally covered with Chinese junks, large and small, many of them strongly manned, and armed with cannon to guard against the countless pirates of the China seas. At every moment, it seemed as if the Arizona must run some of them down, but just as the crash was about to come, the junk would veer and slide nimbly away. When several of them came by together, the barking of dogs, crowing of roosters, and shouts of children made Frank feel quite as if he were in town instead of on the open sea. So steadily do the trade winds, here called monsoons, blow from one quarter that these junks, starting at the same time every year, often make a whole voyage without shifting sail at all. Frank was delighted with the picturesque sight, and overwhelmed Herrick with questions that the old tar answered readily enough. "'That's right, lad,' he would say. "'Keep your eyes open.' And when you don't know a thing, never be ashamed to ask. That's the way to get on. You see if it ain't. Why, there's that feller monkey now. Instead of looking about him when we were at Singapore, I found him fast asleep in the shadow of a quarter boat, and never knowing whether he was in Malacca or Massachusetts. If you'd been one of that sort, instead of being supercargo, you'd have been shoveling coal down there yet. For some time past, Frank had noticed a curious change in one of the men, who, after showing himself a brave and able seaman in the earlier part of the voyage, had suddenly, without any apparent reason, become so gloomy and miserable that his mates nicknamed him Dick Calamity. The surgeon, though finding no sign of actual illness about the man, had pronounced him quite unfit for duty, and thenceforth the poor fellow would sit for hours looking moodily over the side, with a weary, hopeless expression, which, as Herrick truly said, made a man's heart ache just to look at it. One evening, there was some music on the afterdeck, there being several good musicians among the lady passengers who had come aboard at Singapore, and Frank, with some of the officers, stood by to listen. As the last notes of Home Sweet Home died away, Austin's quick ear caught a smothered sob behind him. Following the sound, he discovered poor Dick, crouching under the lee of one of the boats and crying like a child. Frank spoke to him kindly, but for some time could get nothing from him but sobs and tears. At last, however, the whole story came out, 
The man was homesick. I want to be home again, he groaned. And I don't care to live if I can't. If I could just get one glimpse of my little farm yonder among the Vermont hills, it'd be worth every cent I've got. But you'll soon be home now, you know, said Frank cheerily. We're close to Hong Kong, and you can get a passage home from there whenever you like. Dick only shook his head mournfully, but after a time he seemed to grow quieter and went below. His mates, who had long since left off making fun of him and now did all they could to cheer him up, helped him into his bunk and recommended him to go to sleep. The next morning an unusual bustle on the forecastle attracted Frank's attention, and he went forward to ask what was the matter. Poor Dick's gone and killed himself. Footnote 1. A fact. Answered one of the men sadly. I was always afeard that'd be the end of it. It was too true. An hour later, the poor fellow's body, sewn up in a hammock, and weighted with a heavy shot, was plunged into the sea, and Herrick, drawing his rough hand across his eyes, muttered, That's what comes of going to sea when you ain't fit for it. On the seventh day of the voyage, the Chinese coast was seen stretching like a thin gray cloud along the horizon. Presently, the mountains began to outline themselves against the sky, and as the vessel drew nearer, the huge dark precipices and smooth green slopes grew plainer and plainer, while in the background towered the great blue mass of Victoria Peak, at the foot of which lies Hong Kong. Frank was not a little puzzled by a number of strange-looking brown objects that lay close inshore, tumbling and bobbing about like porpoises, but as the steamer approached, they turned out to be Chinese sampans and fishing boats hard at work. Some had white sails crisscrossed with strips of bamboo, others huge brown sails of woven matting, like bat's wings, and altogether, what with the brightly painted boats, the queer faces and gestures of the pigtailed fishermen, the barking of the big dogs which seemed to act as sentries, the glittering scales of the fish that came pouring out of the nets and lay flapping on the deck, the general bustle and activity it was a sight well worth seeing. Over the after part of each boat was an awning of straw or matting, under which the fisherman's family could be seen at work upon their morning meal of rice and fish, flipping it into their mouths with long knitting needles, which Herrick said were the famous Chinese chopsticks. They hardly took the trouble to look around at the steamer as she passed, seeming to care very little whether she happened to run them down or not. And now larger junks began to appear, together with not a few foreign vessels which seemed to start out of the solid mountain, for as yet no opening was to be seen. But all at once the Arizona made a sharp turn to port, around the elbow of a huge headland, and there, through a gap in the cliffs, appeared the beautiful harbor of Hong Kong right ahead. Footnote 2. The Russian port of Balaclava in the Crimea has an entrance of the same kind. Dutch Gap by Hoe Cake! cried a tall Virginian with a joyful grin. Ah, don't I just wish it was, muttered another, who was beginning to feel a touch of poor Dick Calamity's complaint. Gliding past the pretty little islet that sentinels the entrance, the Arizona ran in and dropped anchor, while the rival steamer came slowly up behind her. To be continued. End of Section 2 Read by Ken Tolbert February 13th, 2022.